All things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta give doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at All Things Theology. Oh, grace and peace, guys. Welcome to another episode of All Things Theology where I'm your host, K Dub. And today we have an exciting podcast for today. But I just want to remind you guys who are watching on YouTube to subscribe if you haven't. Like this video, and as always, leave a comment if you have questions. Today's episode is about a cult that I recently just started to hear about called the Lord's Recovery Movement. Today I have a guest that's going to be talking about his journey in it and now out of it. His name is Jacob Howard. And so, Jacob, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about the Lord's Recovery. Absolutely, man. Uh, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's Jacob Howard. I live in Arkansas. I uh, love the Lord. I grew up in a Christian household. Um, when I was very young, I believed in the Lord Jesus. And uh, I don't know that I can say exactly when I was regenerated, but uh, you know, I do believe I had many moments in my life where the Lord convicted me of sin and caused me to repent of it. So I'm just happy to follow him and to keep learning and growing in him and to keep expanding uh, my faith in the, in the context of his word. Amen to that. Amen. Uh, love to hear that. Uh, okay. So <laughs> Um, before we get into any major details about this movement, how did you get involved with the Lord's Recovery Movement? Like, like what was the selling point to you? Yeah, so that that can be a can of worms. Actually, all of this can be quite the can of worms, so feel free to cut me off at any given point. Yeah. But I had, when I was in college, uh, and I met them in college, uh, uh, 10 years ago, actually, in 2011, the fall of 2011, I uh, had been contemplating for a long time the concept of uh, what is division according to the Bible, what is sinful division, and what is oneness, uh, considering uh, sections of Scripture. At that time, specifically John 17, what does this look like where Jesus is praying to the Father that they may be one as as I'm one with you? Um, and I I believe I erroneously conflated denomination, uh, at least mainly erroneously conflated denominationalism with division. Um, I say that because I could see, uh, I'm, I'm sure if I really thought about it, I could come up with an example of a denomination who purposely divides from other Christians and right. doesn't doesn't seek that that Christian unity. Um, but I went ahead and I had labeled my junior year of college. Okay. Denominations are evil, inherently evil. So if you take this name, you're dividing. You don't care about oneness. So that kind of primed me for whoever's got the oneness wins. Uh, and that that happened to be what they were selling. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I got into the New Testament. And I started asking, okay, Lord, what does the New Testament say about church names? And it doesn't really I, – I don't believe it says much of anything, um, but I took it to say, um, okay, Revelation 2 and th- or, you know, Revelation 1, let's list the seven churches. How does how does the writer list them? By city. So that must mean there's only one name. Well, that's definitely descriptive of how he would have been talking about the churches. That wasn't so clear. That me- that was the prescription of the word saying denominationalism is wrong. Right. Uh, but I, I took that and ran with it. I, I believe myself to be to have been an error and, you know, 
I had to change my mind. I had to repent um, eventually. But the recovery, uh, they they don't want to go by a name. Uh, they want to be called the church with no name. At, be, essentially, they don't want to be called anything. It's kind of a... Right, that's a name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it's never ending. The linguistic gymnastics you have to do to try to not be called anything is a right. joke because yeah. language doesn't really allow for that. Right. Uh, that's right. kind of the whole point. But uh, yeah, they called themselves the church in X city, um, but said we don't have a name at, at the same time. So uh, that was because of how I was positioned in what I believe to be error um, with the word, I was pretty intrigued with that idea. And that was the starting point, the catalyst for what I was looking for. Um, but I did find them in 2011. They they usually have college campus uh, clubs that they use for their recruiting. And those clubs uh, go by pretty vague, uh, disconnected names. Like the most popular name is Christians on campus. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that's the recovery. If you're an incoming freshman, you might go, I'm a Christian. You know, I want to be a part of that. So they're trying to recruit Christians specifically. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm, uh, you know, any any of the members, uh, there are a lot of genuine people in it. And I have no doubt that they they just believe in what they're doing. Uh, not that good intentions is a good justifier for anything. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so they I, I believe they believe themselves to be Christians. And and I also believe there are plenty of Christians uh, in it, I just believe there's also a ton of heresy and no genuine Christian should join it. So anyway, to so, come back to your, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So, so what was your particular like involvement where like, you know, deacon past, like, you know, I don't know their functions and offices in their, in this particular you know, cult, but what, what was your involvement like as far as, uh, in the, in the movement? Yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about, how deep down the rabbit hole I went. And really, I was just a fully believing member. Okay. They they really have a pretty basic structure of elder and non-elder. Okay. Um, and that ends up being it. You could get into some nuance of minister of the age, who uh, witnessly kind of took on that title. Okay. Um, but uh, other yeah. than that. Okay. So, yeah. we, we, so we may get into that in a second. But so why don't sure. you tell us um, who started this movement and kind of kind of more about uh, the person who started this. Good, yeah. So in early 1900s China, a man named Watchman Nee, and uh, I, I'm not sure, I think, I, yeah, I can't remember what his name was. He changed his name to Watchman Nee when he got, uh, at some point in his Christian life. And he was a second generation Christian and decided that did not, the, the, he came to the conclusion I came to, which is denominationalism is division. It is sinful division. So he decided, based on what he saw in scripture, I've got to, we, we can't meet any other way. So that's the way he decided to meet. Uh, he's a, he had a photographic memory. He was a good speaker. Um, and he wrote a lot of books. Uh, one of his more popular books is The Normal Christian Life. And that floats around in Christian circles as a as a good solid book. I don't have a lot to say on Watchman Nee because there are some things that I I could see that could be problematic, but I don't dive too much into them because uh, he was essentially the beginning of uh, of all this. I'd say the one city one church uh, doctrine was erroneous, but uh, I don't know if that deems something a cult if someone has 
you know, maybe the spiritual freedom on names. I'm, I'm sure there's nuance for that argument. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so Witness Lee is also he's born at the beginning of the 1900s. And so he came after Watchman Nee, correct? That's right. Okay. That's right. Watchman Nee came and uh, I want to say he came and spoke. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure how they met up, but eventually Witness Lee ended up uh, working with Watchman Nee as a minister Watchman Nee was arrested by communist China uh, in the 50s. Witness Lee eventually came to the U.S. in the 60s. Um, Anaheim, California has their full-time training institute, which is their Bible college, uh, so to speak. And I use Bible college lightly. It's more, it's more like an indoctrination camp where they only teach Witness Lee's writings. But uh, obviously, in my opinion. Yeah, he yeah. <laughs> he uh, he ended up, you know, he they, he had a team translate the Bible um, and came out with a Bible version called the Recovery Version Bible, in which there's ton, it's flooded with his footnotes of of his commentary on the Bible. He wrote a bunch of literature on uh, a, a bevy of Christian topics, and then he did he also did expositional type writings called the Life Studies. And uh, a lot of members will have uh, a massive bookshelf with all the life studies and all the Witness Lee and Watchmany books. So Witness Lee essentially um, brought it to America, propagated it in America, and it's a lot more popular in China than it is in America. But it's definitely in in America, just maybe not as apparent that it's here. Okay, so um. So witness witness Lee is kind of the charismatic cult leader that kind of kept the uh, Lord's recovery movement going. Would you say that's correct? Yes, that's my that's my take on witness Lee. Okay. okay. Are there any other key leaders today, um, or is it just kind of because usually what happens with cults um, that the way that cults can keep thriving, you, you know, when look at something like Mormonism, like okay, you usually need a second and third. Uh, leader after to keep it really going for you know generations are, are there any other people that we would describe as okay yeah they're a charismatic leader in the movement yeah that's a good question so this stems from his his doctrine of minister of the age or wise master builder which uh i get more in depth into most of these doctrines on the lordsrecovery.org but that one specifically was you could trace a lineage throughout the bible of like a key prophet for God. And in every generation, there was just the one. And if you wanted to be a part of what God was doing, you had to follow the one. Right. So you could see how he's, and what what's not necessarily brilliant, but for those who are captivated by him, he never explicitly or overtly calls himself the minister of the age, but he's up there saying there's this lineage and then here we are today. So figure out who's the minister of the age. Uh, but after he died in 1997, um, it's hard to say who's in charge. There is a group called the Blended Brothers. There's a lot of insider jargon, and blended refers to this oneness aspect. Uh, Witness Lee liked to make everything in the Old Testament a symbol um, where you couldn't imagine it being a symbol. He made it one. Okay. And uh, <laughs> well, let's, so let's, it, you know what? Let's let's get into some of that because I'm very interested good. in some of more of the uh, theological claims of this uh, this guy in this movement. Um, I, I study, you know, theology and do comparative religions and stuff like that. So that that's that's why I'm very interested. I know, uh, you know, my followers would be interested from that perspective as well. So maybe we can get to that. What are some of the key 
uh, doctrines of this movement uh, that make them distinctive. You've, you've already kind of brought up one with the whole uh, division and they're kind of overly focused on unity, like to the T, right? And so, um, yeah, wh why don't you tell us, maybe you can go more on that or and bring up some others as well. Yeah, good. I think, I think there is, there's a few avenues I could go um, and it ends up being quite the can of worms. All the doctrines spin left and right because they're covered in self-contradicting ideas that try to make them sound uh, orthodox within, you know, good Christian theology, right. uh, biblical Christian theology. Right. And so it's, it's, it's this political, I just said this heretical thing, but I'm still on the Christian side and it's, it's very confusing, uh, at least to members, but uh, one of them, they do have a form of little God's doctrine um, where they believe that they are God specifically with qualifiers. Um, and this is the part that gets really confusing. He says, um, man becomes God without sharing the Godhead, but having only God's life and nature. So they believe in the doctrine of, of, uh, mingling, which has the basis of, of man being tripartite. And I don't have like a firm conviction on the parts of man, but they believe body, soul, spirit. Yeah. And, uh, that the human spirit, uh, when when a Christian is saved or born again, and this this is what they believe, <laughs> the spirit becomes one based on First uh, Corinthians six seventeen is their reasoning for this, that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Even though that section is specifically talking about uh, a man joining to a prostitute, um, <laughs> versus if you're joined to the Lord, you're one spirit. They take that to mean that must mean that your human spirit is now one with the Lord once you've uh, been saved. And that means one part of you is God and another part of you is man. So Jesus was the God man wow. to make many God men. So uh, wow. they believe themselves to be God men. Okay, so a denial of really, <laughs> or really adding to the nature of man. Uh, you know, man, it, yeah, really kind of, you know, in, in theological terms we become another hypostatic union right jesus being mm -hmm. fully god fully man and he's kind of recreating these men that are literally have the same nature um that's very interesting i, I could think of uh questions that could arise like okay so why does man still sin but jesus did not you know so things like that would be very interesting to hear pers perspective on um any so so do they deny the Trinity? Is is do they? What 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 do you know about that? Yeah, that's good. I don't speak too much on that whenever I uh, criticize them, but that was Norman Geisler's uh, area. Okay. Uh, they're they're a uh, is it litigious or litigious? Litigious. Uh, anyway, they like to sue people, <laughs> oh, <laughs> or okay. they've had a history of yeah, it. Anyways, um, okay. yeah, they uh, have been called a cult in the past. Um, and they have gotten into lawsuits, and I know Norman Geisler was pretty involved with one. Wow. Um, and uh, the Christian Research Institute um, with Hank Hanegraaff in 2009 put out a journal called We Were Wrong because previously they had, under Walter Martin, they had deemed the recovery a cult. Mm -hmm. um, so Walt Martin, Walter Martin's no longer... Uh, with us, and then Hank Hanegraaff comes along. They redo their research, and uh, the t to put it uh, as lightly and 
to decouple my personal feelings with that journal, mainly because that journal kept me in when I could have left very soon in a highly regarded CRI. Um, the, the We Were Wrong article is, is majorly missing key elements of what's going on in the recovery. Um, so I completely uh, forgot your original question, but... Uh, yeah, just about the Trinity. Uh, I was just thinking along, because I'm thinking about like um, major cults tend to have certain things they deny about Christian orthodoxy, right? Um, really, the man's nature, you kind of brought up that. They deny man's nature. Uh, kind of right. and, and, and I think about like the Trinity is usually something that I don't know any cult that like affirms the Trinity, you know what I mean? So I was just thinking about that aspect. Yes. And uh, both Walter Martin and Norman Geisler uh, spoke more on their modalism okay, uh, specifically. Okay. Okay. So they have a modalist tendency and they don't want to, uh, but, but this is where the double speak trying to play both sides of the aisle comes into play. They'll, and I'm not very good with my, um, Trinity theology, um, other than I believe what I believe about the the Trinity, and I don't know what that all the different heresies are. <laughs> right, right. But uh, they they both believe them to be modalist. And actually, I had a really good uh, friend who's a Calvinist. He came with me. We were really close. We're still close today. He came with me, and uh, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. He. Uh, he did, he did this apart from my knowledge, told me much later after I, I said, I think we were in a cult and I brought you with me. But uh, <laughs> he was sitting and, and talking with what they call full-timers, which is just a campus pastor, but this is them again playing the game of, we don't want the name. Uh, yeah. Pastor is uh, not a biblical term. We can't find it in the Bible. So we'll say full-timers, which is also not in the Bible. Well, you know, anyway, I know pastor is, but uh, it, it's just silly uh, ling linguistic gymnastics every right. time. He goes to a full-timer, and he, he says, you said X and Y about the, about the Trinity. Yeah, I did. He said, well, you know that that's modalism. And he had to pry and pry and pry um, to get him to pull away the devil's speak and stop pretending to be orthodox on his views of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And then eventually— you know, after dwindling the argument down concisely and more concisely and getting rid of the muck of, of his dodging, uh, he he said again, that's modalism. And then the full-timer said, oh, well. <laughs> oh, wow. So you just, all right, I'm a modalist, huh? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. easy. Essentially. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, okay, so, so what are some of their other key doctrines that they may hold to or, you know, that may you know, be attracted to some people or something, something like that. What are, what are some of the other doctors they hold to that are, that make them distinctive, like their movement? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's their view on the overcoming believers in revelation two and three. Um, it gets, pretty strong into at least two segments. So number one, they, they have a doctrine called the overcomers. Um, and then number two, they have a doctrine called what I like to call thousand year discipline. Um, so they don't believe they have a two tiered salvation system, although they wouldn't call it that, but that's how I would describe it. The first salvation is if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you're set uh, for eternal perdition. But there's a second tier, and if you don't overcome a certain degree in this life, you will suffer 1,000 years of weeping and gnashing and teeth 
in outer darkness. Um, So any section of the uh, New Testament that doesn't explicitly say the lake of fire, actually, maybe not any section, but I'd say, you know, most sections I can think of um, when it references outer darkness and it's not uh, crystal clear in that very tight context that that's the lake of fire, they attribute that um, to this thousand-year discipline, this what they call dispensational uh, discipline, something like that. But that plays directly into overcomer doctrine, okay. in which they call these overcomers in Revelation 2 and 3 um, normal Christians. Uh, this is where the word game comes in. An overcomer is just a normal Christian, which implies that if you're not an overcomer, you're an abnormal Christian. Right. Uh, it's just another way of saying here's the best Christian and here's the worst Christian. So you have two tiered salvation based on two classes of Christians. Mm. Um, and the overcomers um, are not just Christians who, you know, that's the, that's in the nature of a, of a born again believer in Jesus Christ is to overcome. That's what you do uh, based on the grace that you've been given by God. It's some, some Christians are just not going to overcome. And so those Christians will suffer for 1,000 years, and the other Christians uh, who are the overcomers, they will uh, go to a special wedding feast for 1,000 years while the others are suffering. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's very interesting. So you have these, um, I guess, <laughs> you described it, abnormal Christians going to this 1,000 year of, of re- really suffering. Um would they say that's what suffering for their sins or or how would they describe this punishment? You know what I mean? Cause I, I'm thinking theologically, like the reason why we don't suffer for our sins is right. Cause Christ atoned for them. And so that, that really kind of gets into their, some of their view on the atonement. Did Jesus pay it all or did he pay some of it? You know, I'm thinking that kind of like that. So yeah, are they paying for their sins? Yeah, they're paying for, there's a lot of mysticism in the recovery. And I, mm. I don't think that's unfair to say, uh, I don't have a quote in front of me, but I know that um, Witness Lee was impressed with the mystics overtly, and he mm. he identified as one. But wow. uh, if there was not a certain amount of the spirit that you accomplished in this life, so you weren't filled up with enough of the spirit, and this is based on Matthew 25 with the five ver- uh, the ten virgins, five who made it into the wedding feast, and five who didn't have enough oil in their lamps. Wow. So he takes that, and this is what's interesting, is how many key doctrines can you build off of parables <laughs> rather than overt scriptural uh, uh, prescriptive text? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so he used that as a ba- uh, and, and other scriptures as a basis for this idea that, oh, they didn't get enough spirit, uh, so they need to go to outer darkness, and the other five, they get to go and, and be with the Lord. Um, but to your point, uh, it... it being someone who believed in this doctrine to like, I bought what they were selling. Right. Um, That was one of the most controlling and difficult doctrines because they play this game where they say other Christians in other situations, they can be overcomers too. But if you really want to be an overcomer, you should be here. And then they'll say things like, well, just because you're in the recovery doesn't mean you're going to be an overcomer, but this is probably the best place to be an over. It's really, I mean, it, it's it's a mind game where you're supposed to come to all the conclusions by yourself that if I don't want to go to thousand year discipline, it, they, they want you to come to all the conclusions on your own. Um, and th- that's the conclusion you come to is, right. do I want to be an overcomer? 
how can I leave this place? Who taught me? I couldn't read the Bible and ever come to this conclusion without them. I better stick around, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So so you, did you see a lot of that, that kind of cult manipulation tactics that's uh, done? Like one of, one of the major like cult tactics that like people like Jehovah's Witness do is kind of like cut you off from family, you know, um, to like isolate you, to kind of make you feel alone. So like you depended upon this movement itself. Uh, was that something you seen or was there other things that you saw uh, from that movement? Yeah, that's good. This varies from uh, what they called localities instead of churches. This varied from locality to locality. But uh, that that word, uh, linguistic gymnastics again. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so for our locality, I was in Conway, Arkansas, University of Central Arkansas. Our club was called Christian Student Fellowship. Um, and it was uh, it was not really so clear that I needed to isolate from my family. I was even encouraged to go be with my family. But the ultimate um, fruit of a number of these things was the church was everything. And those who were outside of it, even other Christians, uh, you know, that wasn't so the, the priority list just dramatically changed. Everything was about the recovery. Yeah. So uh you know, I'm sure they would just make an argument um, that I made. If if you did that, you did that on your own. But I came to the conclusion that my parents, um, who both love the Lord and serve the Lord uh, full time, um, <laughs> my parents were in this fallen, what, what they called fallen degraded Christianity. They were in a denomination, which meant they were in division. And they call anything outside of the recovery Babylon. So they were in Babylon. So I had it, it's kind of it's brilliant in a sense if you want to control someone by means of the spiritual by means of someone who's wanting to know about the lord and believes in the words of the bible uh to the degree that you use the words of the bible against their mind right. so babylon's a pretty heavy image <laughs> like we, we all know to stay away from babylon so right if you call like your your place this this movement is no good and everything outside of that babylon you're you're saying to only stay around you in this movement so yeah i totally get it exactly so the weight of that and you know no holidays but here's the thing none of these things much like you see in these other uh groups where the holidays are explicitly don't do this it's it's this uh holidays i don't see why we should do them from the top and then then the next person goes yeah we shouldn't do them yeah we shouldn't do it's all you come to the conclusion on your own we're not going to make you but when you are all in for the recovery and you see witness lead and celebrate holidays and all the elders aren't doing it and, and they believe the Christmas tree couldn't possibly just be a decoration, but it's got to be an idol that, that people are worshiping, which by the way, I, you know, people have convictions about Christmas yeah. trees. And I, I, I chalk that up to spiritual freedom. I'm not trying to hate so, on people. Totally, with totally. Those I agree. But, uh, but you know, you come away with that, that same sense. And, and I was gung ho for this. I don't, I want to be all in for the recovery. I don't want to go to that Babel, Babylonian holiday and possibly, you know, my mom, my favorite tradition growing up was decorating the tree and, and being with family. Um, and when I came back uh, for winter break, my mom was putting stuff on the tree and I was sitting in the family room and I had my back turned to the tree getting all weird about it. And uh, she knew I was in something a little weird. And uh, <laughs> So she she just asked me. I 
you know, I did. I was like, she wouldn't understand. I'm, I'm here and she's here. She's uh, abnormal Christian. <laughs> that's right. She's just chilling out in Babylon and right. I'm way above that. But uh, no, she, she asked, is this for a spiritual reason? And I just went ahead and said yes. And she very sweetly just respected that and never questioned it. But, uh, but yeah, stuff like that. The isolating factor um, became just, a, a, you know, time was dedicated to the recovery. It was the only place I wanted to be. And I didn't I, I didn't look at other Christians very highly. I saw them as kind of on this lower tier where they're never going to care about the really rich truth that they have to get through Witnessly. And I kind of just dropped everything around me. So actually, when I left, I lost all my community instantly. I mean, six years of building friends and meant six years of losing uh, my my all my other friends and and even family to some degree. Yeah, well, uh, let's get to in a second. I, I want to ask you. So you kind of brought up about your family. What 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 was their initial thought or reaction or even like your friends or Christians you formerly congregated with before you got into this movement? What was their kind of reaction to like? the new Jacob, the, the, you know, surrounded by this charismatic leader. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was interesting to say the least. So <laughs> in fall of 2011, I'm meeting with this house group. It looks like we're only getting into the Bible. They pray in this weird uh, monotone roboticized way and not to sound odd, but it's, uh, it's just, Lord, we love you. And everyone pauses and then everyone says, amen. Lord, we love you. Amen. Everyone prays that way. Oh, so, wow. you know, some 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 oddities that, uh, in, in my opinion uh, and in my experience, lean more on the side of uh, hypnotism than, uh, you know, some kind of purposeful, uh, any other purpose behind it. But uh, I know that that's no one's intent when they're praying that way. Uh, right. No one that I knew. But anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I met with them and I went back home over winter break and I, I was excited about the the teaching of the human spirit being mingled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So uh, I was like, no one taught me this before. Go to one of my old friends who went to another college. I said, bro, do you have your Bible? We got to get into this. I'm showing him. I'm like, well, let me Google witness Lee. This will be the fastest way. And go you type in Google and the auto, uh, you know, the auto fill or whatever uh, pops up. It says witness Lee, and then the next word is cult. And I'm like, <laughs> he's over my shoulder. I'm like, maybe that's not the same witness Lee. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So I was, I went back home and I started looking at Google, and there's nothing cohesive out there. Uh, anything you could find on the internet is still pretty uh, uh, fresh and sporadic, and not many people are talking about it. So I'm like, is this a cult? So I told my parents, I was like, I might have been in a cult. I don't know. I went back to UCA and the full-timer that next semester, the first thing he did was give me CRAs. We were wrong magazine that was supposed to completely vindicate the recovery. So there's a lot that was a black box to my family. Actually only after I was out for over a year did I talk really to anyone what was, what was going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I just kind of isolated from everyone and uh, I was just smiley and kind of fake with with all the outsiders. Um, so not, not too much information there other than yeah. hiding. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so let's, let's get into this. Let, what, what made you leave the Lord's recovery movement? Um, and, and I got a sub question after that, but I'm definitely uh, excited to hear your answer. Like what, what was the, wow. Okay. Yeah. I got to get out of here kind of moment that you had. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a catalyst because it ends up being all these things piled onto one another. Okay. I think I could I could make a case for keeping. There's a few things that I go, no way. I, that's not a spiritual freedom matter. That's uh, this is blatant heresy, and most of the time, uh, that's that ends up being the thing. Oh, that ends up being the list that makes me go, okay, I, I can't stay here even if I wanted to, <laughs> which I don't. Um, the catalyst was we had throughout the week, you're, you'd be packed with meetings. One night's a prayer meeting. One night's a truth meeting. The other night's another truth meeting. Two Bible studies a week. I mean. I'm all for being with the church and, uh, you know, being a, an active member of the body of Christ, but, it, you know, it can get pretty time consuming. Yeah. To be fair, I wanted to be there. I yeah. can't remember an instance where I was like, I have to do this. It was yeah. just kind of embedded in me that I have to go to each one and it's fine. I like yeah. it. Yeah, right. um, but one of the things they did was they released this morning uh, devotional that they called the morning revival. And it was just a compilation of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee quotes from all their books. So every morning you read it. And on Sunday mornings, there's two parts to the meeting. The first part is called the Lord's Table, just for the Lord's Table for, for communion. And then the second part is called the Prophesying Meeting. The Prophesying Meeting uh, uses a strict definition of speaking for God. So we have the idea is we have the words of God, therefore we can speak for God. And I believe 1 Corinthians 14, 26, uh, 26 says, what then, brothers, for whenever you come together, each one has, and then lists, like, each one has a tongue, each one has a prophecy, uh, a bunch of the different things you can bring to uh, getting together. And they use that in the section about, uh, also in uh, chapter 14, that you can each prophesy one by one while Paul is you know, saying uh, tongues, but uh, prophesying. Yeah. So that was their take on prophesying. And I really liked that. Uh, just to be honest, I, I thought that was impressive. So um, this part of the meeting, everyone could have a few minutes to just talk about what in the scriptures they were really liking that week. Technically, what you enjoyed of Christ that week is what they would call it. And who what what would happen? Everyone would stand up and they'd read the words of Witness Lee. And uh that was kind of um, shocking to me eventually was these people, whether they're right or wrong about this practice of this is how you should prophesy, they believe speaking for God means reading out a witness Lee quote. Um, and that was that was their that was it. A lot of these people would stand up and they'd read it and they had this uh, they had the same roboticized monotone recovery manner of the Lord wants us to be this kind of person. Amen. And, it, you know, just a really kind of became a bizarre meeting. And when I, when I asked an elder, you know, why, why don't people read from the word uh, rather than go to, I'm speaking for God. Let me pull up my witness Lee. Uh, they say, you can share whatever you want, uh, you know, which is gaslighting because you go to that meeting and nobody is sharing anything outside of what they read in that book. It's got two uh, single verses at the very top. And then, in two full pages of Witnessly, and people are just spouting Witnessly um, in those meetings. So that was a catalyst because once I realized you feel like the odd one out and you're the ostracized one, so to speak, at least in your mind, uh, when you try to share something from just the Bible, um, it's that nice. We'll, we'll pretend to 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 be on this side, but actually, we just want to read some Witnessly today. And there's uh, plenty of testimonies, and th this is 
after this, you know, catalyst of what, what am I in kind of popped up of we're treating witness Lee's words like they are the word. I, I started to hear testimonies of, uh, people that would, uh, I definitely believe, um, I'm married to one of them, <laughs> but people would say, let's get in the word. Yeah, that sounds good. Reaches for life study by witness Lee. And they read witness Lee together. And of course, of course, reading ministry books, re reading, uh, you know, people that get into the Bible and, and help us to understand what it means. That's one thing. But when you conflate the word of God with anything else, you're in danger zone, yeah. um, obviously, yeah, <laughs> to put it lightly. So uh, they, they actually got a quote here. He, he ends up saying, uh, Witness Lee ends up saying, uh, well, I'll backtrack. This common saying or common rebuttal to why do we get in the life studies by Witness Lee all the time? Why can't we just get into the Bible? The common saying I always heard was, "You the, the life studies don't replace the Bible, uh, they unlock it. But that's a bizarre statement because if you follow the statement to its fullest logical conclusion, the implication is the Bible is locked without the, the special unlocking. Um, so you need Witness Lee to be able to get to the Bible. He even says uh, this. This is in his book, The Living Needed for Building Up the Small Group Meetings. And I don't know if this is a compilation or he or, or uh, of his writings or or he was the author. I made that mistake in a debate yesterday where they said that he didn't write that book. It was a compilation. I'm sorry. Uh, it says, how can we make the small group meetings rich, strong, fresh, and living? After much investigation, I found out that for many, to use the Bible alone is not sufficient to unlock its riches. There is a need for the life study messages to serve as an aid. We treasure the Bible, but the words of the Bible, get this, the words of the Bible must be opened up before we can receive light from the Bible. Uh, he gives a, an example of food, but but uh, it's, it's bizarre because it, it, it then means that the Bible is insufficient. You need Witness Lee. And I know he says here for many to use the Bible alone is insufficient uh, to unlock its riches or not sufficient to unlock its riches, but... Uh, clearly for him to say at the end, the Bible must be opened up before we can receive light from the Bible means that you need esoteric knowledge. You need something special that God cannot provide you through the word. Um, and I, I know teaching the word is definitely a gift and needed, but at the same time, we also have verses like you have no need that anyone should teach you um, just to guard against this kind of garbage. Uh, <laughs> Man, so it, these kinds of things, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Roman Catholicism in that sense because they deny that the scripture in itself is sufficient to make a one make a person wise, as as, as, as the scriptures say itself. Um, you know, but they they that's why they have all these uh you know traditions and the magisterium and the pope because in the church because right otherwise just reading the Bible itself we will lead you to heresy is pretty much uh and, and create all these different denominations is kind of what they allude to and it seems like man that's a a similar thought in this movement as well um i, I have another question kind of something you said earlier you, you brought up uh uh witness lee's uh mysticism i came out of the charismatic movement and that was something that was very uh hard for me to let go um wh what was that mysticism like like can you just i'm just interested just because of my background so like can you describe like how was that mysticism yeah, no, that's good. 
Yeah, I think this varied, but there was one morning revival uh, book, and this could have been Watchmen Knees, so it, de- it at least came from the morning revival book, where we were talking about Romans 8, uh, which, you know, mind-blowing chapter of the Bible, <laughs> yeah. but it says, um, for the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, and the mindset on the flesh is death. I might have said that out of order. Um, but uh, the idea there was that was actually a gauging mechanism for what God was telling you to do. So if you could set your mind on the spirit, that means you can get life and peace. But if you set your mind on the flesh, that means death. But what was really interesting is the interpretation of what is life and peace versus what is death. And it was described as a feeling. So it was very much making decisions based on feeling. And and wow. without, you know, getting too far into the debate of are we over prescribing or under prescribing like uh, antidepressants, I'm on antidepressants for clinical depression, um, and I, 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 I hear both sides of that argument very well. But, uh, man, I would get really depressed because my body just won't reuptake the serotonin, uh, won't reuptake serotonin, and I would just get down for zero reason. So if I was making decisions based on being down, it was just like yeah. it was a thorn in my side. So I can't trust my feelings. Yet at the same time, they'd say things like, uh, really profound statements like don't forget it while you're in the darkness what you heard while you were in the light so it's very confusing to go uh well that makes sense i should remember what i heard while i was in the light well are they talking about scripture in that statement or are they talking about what the lord told you uh in your you know in in your time of setting your mind on the spirit so are, are they big on like uh speaking in tongues and healings or anything like that you know witness lee had a testimony of speaking in tongues before for Watchman Nee, um, but then Watchman Nee convinced him that that was not uh, that was not important. Do all, he, he referenced do all speak in tongues? So he kind of dropped it okay. from there. But they have this practice called calling on the Lord, and uh, I don't I have yet to have done the due diligence to look into a lexicon on the word call. Um, but they claim that the word call means to cry out aloud. And I recently read something where someone posited that it doesn't mean that. I'd love to get into that to see if that's that's true. But uh, regardless, they they claim that any instance you see, like uh, in Acts two, at some point he references an Old Testament verse saying, "Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Mm-hmm. Um, so they they believe that to be that needs to be a common practice. You need to be doing that all the time. So they'll actually start shouting. Uh, either together or in groups, oh, Lord, Jesus. I'm sorry, I know it's all weird, but yeah. if you don't hear it, you won't know what it sounds like. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they'll they uh, they'll do that. And, you know, I came from a slightly charismatic uh, – I came from Baptist, non-denominational, Baptist, Pentecostal. Uh, so that actually also helped prep me for, uh, you know, new practices don't really scare me because I'm getting used to the culture shock of yeah. <laughs> seeing all these different things. But, uh, but man, um, man, one of the things I'm very thankful when I see people come out of cults is that they remain Christian because oftentimes mm-hmm. a lot of people who come out of cults, they just give up. Uh, they become like atheistic or agnostic, like just not caring. And so, Jacob, man, I just want to thank you, man, that the Lord has still preserved preserved you even throughout the midst of that. I'm, I'm sure you feel it, uh, know that probably much more than I do. Uh, that the Lord was watching you and guiding you despite mm-hmm. being in that cult. So, man, I, I, I just want to, man, just thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for uh, 
that the Lord was just sovereign over your salvation, that you're still pressing in till this day, man. That's right. Hey, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on and talking about this, uh, getting some light on it, I think is always helpful. And uh, I'm very thankful for our brotherhood and our, our common Lord Absolutely. and Savior, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Well, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Hey, guys, till the next time, grace and peace. Everybody hates Chris.